0: Look out! I've always wanted to say, "I love fat." (laughs) I've always always wanted to confess it. I've always wanted to be able to say it. I love fat. Oh, there it is. It's out. My confession is complete.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it was so well said, as well. (laughs) It was such motivation and and, yep yep the whole lot
0: and there's 46 years of pent-up desire behind that where I felt like I wasn't allowed to say it that I'm I I love fat is
1: that because I love it yeah Karen was that because that your belief system because of the dietary guidelines, because of what you were told, because of the meme, if I could call it a meme, that was going around that fat was bad for us. Is that why?
0: Oh, Cindy, so spot on. I have in my whole life been a fat phobe for as long as I can remember. And, I mean, obviously it's not so much these days since being so close with you girls, but certainly my whole life growing up has been about you don't eat oils, don't put butter with this, don't have any fats with anything, and it's always been a real phobia with fats. And and I remember I met a girl, not well, probably about ten years ago now, and she was super super slim, and she was and uh, she specialised in diets and nutrition. And and I remember her saying, you know, I've, I'm a fat phobe. I'm a fat phobe, so I'll stay away from <laughs> fats my whole life. And I thought, wow, a kindred spirit. Okay, she can talk to me about my nutrition. And I remember that. And I thought, you know, and, and now it's like there's such a massive question mark about it and today's topic is all your idea, Cindy, about talking about fats and oils and what shoulds and shouldn'ts and cans and can'ts. I can't think of a better
1: bloody topic. Mm. Oh, look, I think people are confused. Oh. You know, there's this, and it's not just the confusion of is fat bad or, or, or good or how, what type should I eat? Or what type should I use? You know, like here I am going. Or, oh, or oh, oh. it's everything. It's I see all these. I, I like I'll put up a post about fats and oils and what are good and what are bad, and and people will be confused. But I thought canola oil was good, Cindy. Why are you telling me it's not? Because it's a polyunsaturated. I thought polyunsaturated fats were good and saturated fats were bad, and so I thought what we could do today and uh, is is perhaps. Talk about the basics of fats. What is it, um, you know, that type of thing and and, um, how it's used in the body and what it does for the body. Maybe look at that and then what are the best fats that we can eat? What are the fats that we should stay away from? Where did we get this phobia about, about fats? Where did it all start from? And then Kim, with all her beautiful fats, her essential oils and um, we use fat on our skin all the time. So mm-hmm. we're going to do the inside-outside story. Awesome. That's what we're going to do. Nice.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah. I like it. Yes, I you. Yes, yeah. yes, let's do that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, what was really funny was Kim and I were talking the other day and she said that she had this um, woman ring her, or not ring, but email her worried about using her essential oils, Kim's essential oils, while she was pregnant. And we had this a discussion about it, Kim and I. And we just are blown away that people are, are scared to put essential oils near them when they're pregnant. Gosh knows where they've got that phobia from. But they're quite happy to put a bio. What's that oil called, Kimmy? Well, there's
2: a there's a very well marketed product called Bio Oil, which I'm sure many people have heard about. Dermatologists, doctors, everybody. It is so beautifully marketed. It is a company that just focuses on that one product in four different sizes, and it's a, a if not a multi-squillion dollar, it's definitely a, it's it's almost a, a billion-dollar company just on this one product. And when you look at the ingredients in something like bio oil, which is completely petroleum-based and loaded with things like salicylates and perfume and fragrance and it's got so many nasty little things in it that I go, and yet people are absolutely happy to rub something like that all over their body, and yet they question three drops of a pure essential oil. So we got the giggles a little bit about it. That What is creating this real fear-mongering around something that's so natural as opposed to what makes it okay for companies to sell products like that that have question around their ingredients just because they put the minimum amount in or the amount that's allowed by the FDA. And, and I will add that no ingredient is a bad ingredient until someone complains about it regardless of the research. So the there is no guidelines in the beauty industry around what oil or petroleum or chemically made product is safe until someone dies or someone complains or someone has that is linked to that ingredient and then it doesn't mean that that ingredient will be eradicated they just lessen the amount in there which then begs the question what's the accumulation effect i mean women are told to rub bile oil into their skin quite a few times a day morning and night all over a beautiful pregnant belly i mean who knows what is being um, absorbed into the body when one is pregnant from the belly. So, I don't know, it just raised the question around, you know, what's what are, what are we doing and why do we have this phobia around natural products?
0: No, mm. I
1: agree with you. Um, so another question, Kimmy, about we were just talking about bio oil versus essential oils and and this whole phobia. But what about, you know, the oils that we use on our skin? A lot of the moisturizers are petroleum-based, whereas we can use food food oils on our our skin. And and I have a question for you. Also, is it sometimes I'll put an oil on my face that's not saying it's a face oil, but and it stings my eyes even if it's a food oil. Why, Why does that happen?
2: It'll be something to do with the components that make up that oil. See, some of them are very bioactive. They're very um, – they they do have a very stimulating um, effect to them. So, you know, it'd be like putting peppermint near your eyes, you know, something like that that has a very high levels of different constituents that have that real stimulating factor. I mean, that's also its beauty as well, but when used properly – that can help warm and cool the skin at the same time. But with carrier oils, or what we call base oils, which are very different to essential oils, by the way, and essential oil isn't actually an oil or a fat. In fact, it's more structured like an alcohol than it is an oil. But a base oil, things like coconut, almond, apricot, um, grape seed, hazelnut, you know, all of those base oils. Um, are very rich in essential fatty acids and things like that so that's what but the skin is also made up of essential fatty acids in theory it's only through evolution of create, of, of whipping oils that we've turned oils into cream and it's the luxury feel of cream on the skin but if any of you listeners or you girls yourselves have used, or uh, have done the, the four-phase fat elimination protocol, the HCG protocol, where you can't put fat on the body, and we know that jojoba is considered a fluid wax and not a, a strict fat in terms of how it works on the skin, then you'll know that when you do the protocol for 40-odd days or whatever it is that you do it, and all you're using is jojoba oil, I mean, that in itself is probably a wonder product all by itself. You do not need much else it's just that most of us are not used to using just an oil on our skin or we think it's too greasy or we think it's whatever but you don't put so much on that you look like you've walked out of a fish and chip shop for the last four hours (laughs) you just actually put the minimum amount on the skin and allow the skin sebum to um, work with that product that's being absorbed onto the skin so you know, people forget that the skin is made up of oil. So the skin does love oil, um, but we're not used to putting things. And some people react to oils differently. Obviously, there's some thicker constituents and thicker things that make the skin uh, react differently. We're all different. Even different times of the month, our skin can feel different. So, you know, keep the skin guessing. Keep playing with beautiful products. And I'm just just writing an e-book at the moment called Feed Your Face, and basically, it's um, it's a book all about using food on your skin. So basic things like avocado masks and lemon um, juice, and using egg white and cucumbers. And look, it's I mean the, that's what we used to do as our beauty regime, along with ostrich bile and all sorts of things that we wouldn't like to use these days. But the reality is, your skin. should do its job on its own. Products that we put onto the skin are to boost what the skin's already capable of doing. So, in other words, it works with the skin. You should not be buying products that do something to the skin. You don't want skin being done to. You want skin being worked with so that the skin is the hero, not necessarily the product. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think so. I was just just thinking about your... um, the oil stinging your eyes, Cindy.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: The eye area is uber, uber sensitive. And when I think back to my beauty therapy days, the eye area is very, very sensitive. So if you th- feel around your eyes, there's a bone underneath your eyes and it kind of is, goes in a circular, it's like it's a circle, and your eye socket is in the centre of that bone around your eyebrows and then all the way down underneath your eye. So you don't want to have any oil or product going higher than that bone. Because what happens with the skin underneath the eyes is that skin actually draws whatever is on the skin. It draws it upwards towards the eye. Instead of it drawing Mm. it into the skin, it draws it upward towards the eye. And if you've got oil or you've got any product around that area, you're drawing it up and into your eye, which is why it would sting because your eye actually isn't an oily part of of the body. The eye is made of more saline-type solution. So it's more of a salt-based liquid, watery liquid. It's not it's not water, but it's not oil. So if you're getting the stinging, then potentially you're just putting your product a little bit too close to your eyes, and sometimes even the ethers or the, the, the vapors from the oil can um, affect the eyes and make your eyes water. Hmm. Well, one, one
1: of the things I noticed, though, that if I use the one that, that Kimmy's made up for me you know like if I use moisturizers and her facial oils never get the sting yeah right (laughs) it's just when I try and make my own up and I and I figured you guys and therein lies your problem
0: (laughs) need we say any more need we say any more (laughs) <laughs>
1: but it's true every stick now and with like, what you're good at oh how funny it's, it's so wrong because i never have a sting no matter where i put it on my face i never have a sting when i use you know all of the oils and creams that kim makes up but every now and then i go oh i'm gonna try a new oil and i put it on my face and then my eyes start to sting. i go okay this is why i stick to kim's stuff and <laughs> not not trying to think. Be the person who knows what the hell she's doing with skin. (laughs) (laughs) You've also
2: got to remember that to get a cream or a lotion or some sort of gel, generally a product is made up of oil and water, which is what you want. But however, as we know, oil and water doesn't mix. And so we need other substances added to them so that they don't separate again. And obviously in commercial products, they use things like stearic acid, um, which is often a saturated fatty acid that comes from animal fats or coconut or palm oil or etc. I think it's things like sterols that are added into it, um, alcohols, and then emulsifiers or lathering agents like sodium lauryl sulfate. So this all helps the skin. It feels slick. It feels nice. But then you've got to also check those ingredients and make sure that the ingredients they use to emulsify products are not the problem. So often they'll – and then if you watch any clever marketing, and and Karen, you'll you'll know this better than most, but it's all based on the key hero ingredients in there. And then you turn it over and you see a plethora of chemical names – that are a concoction, just one big chemical concoction. So, to go back to something as simple as a rosehip oil or a jojoba oil, which are the two—I mean, rosehip's very rich compared to jojoba, but jojoba is one of the lightest, most beautiful fluid waxes you can put on the skin um, to go to that. But you've also got to remember, if the skin's not used to having just these very, um, very um, bioavailable but very rich. Um, products, then you're going to have to allow your skin at least that 28 days to adapt to new oils or new um, fatty acids or plainer products that we put on the skin. And often people go, oh, no, it ruined my skin. I broke out or I did this. But it's probably more the fact that it's used to all the chemical bombardment rather than what it's used to with just one or two products that, that work beautifully. So, you know, if you are looking at putting something on the skin or changing, look at what the emulsifiers and the surfactants are. Look at what the ingredients are that bind the product or turn an oil and a water into a cream or a lotion because that's what's the important part.
1: Mm. Now, I know I had a statement before that, but you, you were just um, flying there. <laughs> I because you reminded me of something and I, and I thought anyway it's gone and if it comes back I will I should just write it down that's what I should do.
2: Well, <laughs> well think about the other thing is um, that's very common in the skincare world is a thing called mineral oil, and you know many people think that the minute they see that on a label, you'd think the word mineral, the word oil sounds natural. However, it is a petroleum product, and yes, it helps the skin. Uh, or it prevents the skin from losing moisture, but it's like putting Glad wrap on the skin. So, and and no one knows the long-term effects on on that, except that research is showing that uh, it's not good. And many people are having reactions to these petroleum-based products, and yet it feels so beautiful and light and lovely to put on the skin. So, you know, it's just it's just re-education and knowing that you can make beautiful skincare products in your kitchen. Um, you do not have to spend a fortune on skincare. Um, although, Karen, as a beauty therapist, you might have something more to add to that. I'm
0: not sure. Well, one should always suggest one spends a fortune. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> it kind of justifies yeah. my habit. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's
0: it's, it's it's fascinating, actually, because when I think of the journey in terms of my own um, experience as a therapist, and then also with the products that I've used versus what I use now, it's very, very different. Um, you know, I remember back in the very early days, I had dreadful, dreadful acne, like huge, 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 big, gross things on my face that I was so frightened to go outside. And I was using a product called Elabache Do you remember that? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And I tell you what, that was a delicious product. And I remember as a beauty therapist selling elabache we used to talk about it being fruit-based and the um, yeah, all, the, all the, the smells were so fruity. But mm. if you've ever gone and had a look at the ingredients of an elabache product, mm. it would make you run mm. a mile. When I look at that, and and I haven't seen it for a long time, but I went into a salon in Noosa a couple of weeks ago and I thought, oh, my goodness, there it is. I'm going to go and have a look and see what what was in this stuff all along. Oh, oh my goodness, it's frightening. It's really frightening. And then, you know, you've got the Clarins and the Cliniques and all the products that you can buy from the department stores that are pure alcohol. And then all of the products that are designed for um, removing acne, Uh, it's 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 pure alcohol and ammonium and acid and we're putting that on our skin hoping that it's going to get better i think i think where this conversation could is going to go in terms of what we put into the body is very indicative of what comes out of the body and what shows on the body and 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 the skin and i think I got asked something the other day, which is just, just coming to me now. I'm probably just rambling. But I got asked to do an interview the other day. And one of the questions they asked me was, what do people always ask you? And one of the things that people have always asked me for as long as I can remember is, what do I use on my skin? And, you know, I, I th- I, and, and I don't let my skin get used to one product for too long. You know, I'll use a product for a year or two and then I'll change products. So I don't think it's necessarily a specific product. What, I've, what I think it is, it's what goes into the body. And, you know, I laugh so much and I always look for things to laugh at. Even when I'm in my dark, darkest times, I'll have those dark times, but then my way out is to look for things to laugh at. And I'm always looking for things to be playful and I'm always looking for things to be fun. And I just, I think it's like anything that it's a holistic approach. Our, our well-being is a holistic approach. And I think that we're tearing ourselves inside out and upside down looking for this well-being when really it's a holistic approach of what goes on inside of the mind, what goes into the body, what goes onto the skin. If we can be as natural as we possibly can and be adventurous with our choices you know like the best thing I ever saw Kimmy when I went to Paris Mm -hmm. I went to a beautiful perfume factory and I saw them actually take all of those beautiful oils and they had these giant big pots with huge big whisks in them and they were spinning those Mm -hmm. oils into cream I've never seen that before it was, oh, my God, I'm so
2: excited. I'm going over in oh, July and I'm going to a number of these perfume workshops. I'm so
0: excited. Oh, it's, yeah. I watched them make soap out of coconut meat. It was yeah. oh. amazing. And then whipping the oils into cream, it was like I was just – I said to the lady who was the tour guide, I said, I'm in heaven. I've died and I've gone to heaven. This is just – you are bliss. Oh so girly, I love it. <laughs> you know
2: you know um, I don't know if either of you have ever used the, the the thing like bio oil that's well marketed and everything is a scar repairer it's a it's
0: yeah um,
2: Been said to be a wonderful um, product that helps with stretch marks and aging skin and uneven skin tone and dehydrated skin. That's what it's it's marketed as. I looked at the ingredients because I kept thinking, okay, it's all very good and well to tell people not to use this product, but what have I got as a as an option for people? And so I did all my research and had a look, and I'm very excited. You girls are the first to know, but I have a product called Restorate coming out in within the next eight weeks. And it is basically. I looked at the ingredients of bio oil, and the only ones I could read that I really liked the look of, um, and that were actually made any sense to me. In fact, if you look at the the ingredients, is um, it was uh, Roman chamomile, lavender, rosemary, calendula, and sunflower seed oil. Like that's that's the kind of the cool ingredients that they say. Now I don't know if they're synthetic components in that product or whether they are the pure extracts um they also say they do some special um i don't know what they call it but they called it cellion or some sort of therapy that they pure sellin or something or rather is their so-called um technology which i don't know even know what it means i don't think anyone knows what it means it just it's just a name that they've trademarked that they cleverly market on and it sounds spectacular but all the rest of the ingredients are incredibly, most of them are are very frightening, including perfume and orange colour. So they even put the colour orange in there or red colouring to make it the certain colour that it is. So I turned around to my beautiful manufacturer and I said, I want to create this product that's brilliantly and highly um, effective on the skin. It's good for toning. It's good for uneven skin tone. It's good for stretch marks. It's good for um, healing broken skin. It's excellent for skin repair or scar or post-operative or post-pregnancy or during pregnancy, blah, blah, blah. And basically we have created this gorgeous product that's based on rosehip oil. It's using um, rosemary and chamomile and lavender, but we've added neroli in there and a little bit of lemon oil, which is just so beautiful for toning. And we've put calendula in there as well. I, like, I think it's bio oil on steroids. Um, it feels beautiful. I've actually got a sample for you two girls to Ooh, give me a yay. testimonial on. Um, oh, yeah. But what I'm what I'm saying is, is you can make up your own bio oil. You know, and that's the other thing that when people see these ingredients, look at what's on the back, look at the key ingredients. You can buy shea butter easily, you can buy an essential oil easily, you can get your beeswax if you're into beeswax if you're not worried about vegan products. You can buy all the things that are the key components in those skincare products and make them in your kitchen. The question the well the challenge is most of us don't have time or most of us don't want to. But you know, A teaspoon of coconut oil with a drop of lavender is a beautiful scar repair blend for the belly. It's just whether or not people are prepared to or even aware that they can do such a thing. So that's why I've created this product. And my gosh, if that product took off like bio oil, I'll be seeing you first class in Paris with my own perfume company. Thank you. (laughs) nice. (laughs) But yeah, so I'm just saying it's easy to make.
1: I think what's happened is that uh, the that you know, once upon a time, this is how we made all of our cosmetics. You know, if you you look back at the in the olden days, we did use certain foods and oils that were available to us in nature, and and then we became I don't know industrialized, I guess is the word, and we learned how to do you know different things to chemicals, and then instead of appreciating that we had the knowledge of these beautiful oils and all these things we let the, the pendulum you know swing uh, far to the other side where we've now made everything into these chemicals and 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 now because this generation and the generation before and even the generation before was not aware of this although I believe this generation is becoming aware uh, we just it's just continued but I think it's I don't know if it's it's um, marketed too well for the most people to understand this so it's just nice to see a uh, I guess a cottage industry coming up through mm. the ranks and lots of cottage industries coming up through the ranks that are using food etc for it
0: I think it's very mm. exciting. And, and just be careful
2: be careful with a number of the the cottage industries because um, what happens is they buy a base cream and then they add their beautiful herbs or oils or things like that that the challenge is, is people are not told what's in that base cream that they've purchased so that's just one little thing I would say just be wary of and ask where they get their base cream from because a lot of companies even natural companies sell these base creams but they have preservatives or they'll have a benzoate in there or a paraben of some sort even though all the other ingredients are natural so you know even the cottage industry and a lot of people even when I've challenged them on this they weren't aware and when you buy a a product like that in bulk they don't have to disclose what they've done to that product and therefore the person or the cottage industry company that's bought it doesn't necessarily know so I'm not blaming them but there is so much deceit it's the same as the food industry Cindy it's there's
1: I don't know if it's worse or the same but you,
2: you, you don't know yeah
1: it's exactly the same Kimmy it's Somebody can buy, let's say, a soy protein isolate or a, a whey protein isolate, and they all they do is put that up on in the ingredient list. But in in the background and in processes, it may have canola oil. It may have a lecithin from soy lecithin. It could be have genetically modified, even though it's seen as grass fed <laughs> whey protein powder or whatever. So yeah, it's the same.
2: How does the person know then, and and particularly if a cottage industry or a company is really committed to, to giving our you know their consumers the best, and yet they're not aware that that's that's the challenge sometimes too, and those of us that make our products, we trust our manufacturers by asking the question. It is sometimes the blind leading the blind, I think.
1: Well, the, I think in the food industry, the best thing is is that you buy everything from scratch. You you buy everything you know, by singularly, you know, one ingredient as opposed to buying a food that's been prepared because then you know what you're putting into it but then there's the whole production thing that creates problems as well. But you've got to, you know, you've got to do the best with what you've got and um, you can't become, uh, what do they call it, orthorexia nervosa, have an orthorexia nervosa, which means that you have an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. So, you, you know, you've got to have a nice balance there where, you, you know, you're not crazy. But I think the other thing is this, is trust, is that more and more I purchase from people I trust because I see the research they put into it. I see what they're doing. And if they bring out five products and they're all brilliant, I can probably guarantee that they will continue to bring out brilliant products. The minute I see a company that has, a, a product that has a dubious ingredient, I don't trust them anymore.
2: Mm. I can't
1: <laughs> trust them anymore because I'm thinking, well, if you're putting it into that product, then where's your research and, and you know, where is it? So I can very quickly decipher whether I like a company or not and whether I'm prepared to pay for them. And and that's what I've gotten to is that and I hope that people see changing habits as that. You know, it's not in my kitchen. If it's not in my kitchen, it's not in the warehouse. It's what I want to eat and I trust it and we've researched it and we've looked at it and we all here at Changing Habits. We all have the same belief system as far as we want to make things from scratch. We all have a love for health and a love for um, nutrition and food and so everybody works together to make sure that we bring in the right product. So I think trust is the main thing when you trust a company like, There's not only my company, Changing Habits, but Loving Earth. Like, I trust Loving Earth. I don't think that they would ever do anything uh, wrong because they're an ethical company. Um, 28, I trust 28 because I know what you like, Kim. So there there are certain people in the food industry that I trust. I go to my market. I trust my lettuce grower. I speak to her, I talk to her, my turkey man, who we're going to have on the podcast probably next week, you know, my turkey man, I talk to him. I want, you know, I'm making sure I get a, a person who is as passionate um, about food as me and it's passionate about his animals as me. Karen, you may not want to be on that call. I'm just
0: sitting here wondering myself right <laughs> now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, his, knowledge, his knowledge of poultry industry and eggs and chickens and and what they're doing and the synthetic vitamins they're giving him like he was telling me the other day and I went stop you don't tell me anymore because I want to do this on a podcast I want to be you know I want you to educate uh, our listening audience because I think this is really important for people to know, you know, it, it, I think that there's been a big thing in the papers at the moment and that's free range eggs. And um the, you know some some of the people out there and I think they picked Woolworths, Coles and Aldi were the worst. So their eggs have 10,000 chickens per was it a hectare or acre? I cannot remember now. And then and, and some of the really um sustainable ethical egg manufacturers have only 150 chalks per acre on their properties so mm. you know I, mm. I, I look at it like that and and i go you know we have to start it's trust it's trust and 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 we get we find people around us that we can trust and i'm very much into um finding that person and really questioning them. You know, like, for instance, someone we've had on this uh, podcast is Kirsty Worth from Cultured Wellness. So I remember going, meeting her for the first time, going up to her and, you know, questioning her about her cultures, you know, because I had only found dubious cultures. Well, I listened to her and I went, well, this girl knows more than I do. She is more passionate about her cultures than I'll ever be able to be because you know I'm looking at the whole of the nutrition and that was her one love was cultures. So now I put everybody onto her cultures to to ferment their food. So uh, yeah, this is this is where I think we're going is that we're going to have to start to trust people and know that their knowledge and their their foods or their skincare products are uh, are what they would use and that they're great researchers with it. Mm-hmm. I love
0: it. Yeah. I think it goes a long way for a person to really um, look into this way of living, don't you think? Like it's, it, it's, mm. it, it's quick and it's easy to go into Woolies and grab a packet of eggs or to, to, you know, go and do your shopping. It's quicker and it's easier to do that. But I think the more aware people become about how, they influence and impact the world and how they feel physically and emotionally. The more a person becomes aware and the more a person begins to question what our habituated normal behaviour is, I think the more a person becomes more aware and then the more a person wants to try something different to what they've already known. And it becomes an experiment. It becomes quite fun to, to look at different things, to eat, look different things, to put on your skin and see how they work it becomes it becomes quite fun to do that as opposed to mm. making it feel like it's a chore or an obligation. I think it's like, and, and the only reason I say chore and obligation, I think, is because originally I think I felt like that many, many years ago. I thought, oh, you know, it's just so much work to have to do all of this.
1: <laughs>
0: but it's not. It's, it's, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? I mean, it's really about experimenting and playing with the direct opposite of what we've been conditioned to believe is true and to, to to flirt with what else is possible and see how you feel physically, emotionally, mentally and environmentally, see how it feels. It's, it's, it's actually, you know, it's quite fascinating. I was only having a conversation with my sister just the other day. We were talking about me buying a new car because my lease is coming up on my car and I said to my sister, you know, for the first time, In years, I don't want a flashy car. I want a hybrid. I want something that's cheap. I want something that's easy to run. I don't care what it looks like. I just want something that doesn't create a big footprint in terms of the fuel that I use and the impact that I have on the planet. And you know, it—it was. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) It was challenging though because I went and drove a Mercedes. Yes, I did. And then I went. (laughs) (laughs) and and then I I went and drove a sports car a Lexus sports car convertible yes I did do that (laughs) and I walked away and I thought I can buy those cars I could if I wanted but then I thought you know what actually it it, and it you know it's been it's been really fun and that's why I think it's fun for us to explore what else is possible because when we get our heads <laughs> into the right game, it actually becomes a really fun <laughs> game to play. And you know, I've bought myself a new little car, and it's just a small little um, demo Audi.
1: BMW. <laughs> no, no, no,
0: no, 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 it's 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 a little it's a little Audi, and my repayments are more than half what I'm used to paying, or less than half oh, of what I'm used to paying. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. And I'm going to get twice as far in my, in my car. I can get about four or 500 kilometers to a tank. In this car, I'm going to get like, I don't know, I think a thousand or 1100 kilometers to a tank. And I'm really, I'm really excited about it. And when I decided that I wanted to live differently, live a more natural way, it's been it's been amazing, and it's been fun to transform my kitchen. It's been fun to transform my bathroom, and it's been fun to experiment with the oil pulling. Let
1: me just say, <laughs> Did you? I'm done, Karen, I'm, d- I'm just um, I'm trying. I'm done I know what your bathroom's like. I have been into it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> You have more, you know, the makeup is what used to get, like, I used to go, oh my gosh, she's got, I know you're a beauty therapist, and that's why. Yeah. Um, But I just had never, like, all my makeup fits into, you know, like a sandwich Ziploc
0: bag. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not quite there yet. Not there yet. (laughs) (laughs) But I think Um, Speaking of fat, like, you know, like, as
2: far as you know from that thing of of whether it's good for us or not good for yeah, us and, and and trying to understand it from a um from a health perspective um Cindy there's one question I wanted to ask you um you know how there's the whole ketogenic diet now and it's very fat based and things like that is everybody destined to be a fat burner as opposed to a sugar burner is everybody good with more fat what's the transition period to go into a more fat diet and what are the things you need to watch for as far as, you know, because it's all very good and well to eat more fat, but if you're still eating as many carbs and sugar, then you're going to get fat. So could you just give us a rundown on what that looks like from your perspective from the inside story?
1: Yeah, look, it was really interesting um, on Facebook a couple of nights ago um, and I follow a group that's called, um, Smith. Some- Oh, look, I can't remember the name of the group, but I follow this group and there's a lot of science-based articles that come up on it. And they're really, really interesting. And there was a comment made by a medical doctor who, well, she wasn't a medical doctor. She was finishing off her final exams at university and she was going to be a, a doctor And she said um, she's obviously been in this group and listening to this group and she talked about an exam question that she was given and she was given four alternatives in this exam question and she said this is the one that was correct and it talked about fat causing insulin resistance and heart disease and then diabetes and, and blah, 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 blah. So and everybody who commented commented with, Oh, well, they're lying on in medical exams and they're doing this and they're doing that. And I think what I did was I, I went in and I just said, hang on, guys, you have to look at the whole perspective of our evolution, of the anthropological diet, of the hunter-gatherer to the agriculturalist. They They adapted to the environment that they were in. So the Papua New Guineans, they ate mainly carbohydrates, yams. They didn't have a lot of meat, maybe insects, unless they were the ones that ate humans, you know, those ones, the cannibals. But if you look at the Dani and the Lani, they were not, they did not, they were not cannibals and they would eat mainly carbohydrates. And then you go to an, another extreme and that extreme would be the Inuits who ate 95% blubber and fat um, and protein and very little carbohydrates, sometimes only 1% depending on the season. And remembering that each one of them had a season, a wet season, a dry season, a cold season, a summer, winter, autumn, spring. And during those times, different fats and different foods were available in those seasonal changes. So if I was going to be very across the board, we would have eaten saturated fats in the summer when the cows were fat or the animals were fat Or if we were eating dairy, they would have a lot of fat in them because the animals were eating the sweet green grasses that enabled them to put fat on and have creamy, creamy milks and then we could make cheeses. So in the summer when all of this was happening, we would have eaten a lot of saturated fats. And the fruits were available as well, so we would have eaten sugars. So with the saturated fats and the sugars, we then would – increase the amount of fat we had on our body, which then in turn would change our hormones, which then in turn would give us the ability to have a baby. And we would be pregnant from that summer right through to the spring and we'd put on that fat to survive the winter. But then what would we eat in the winter? We would eat something very, very different to what we are eating in the summer and we would eat more polyunsaturated fats. We would eat less sweet fruits. We would have winter fruits that were less sugar um, percentage uh, and and so when we ask the question is the ketogenic diet right for us and does everybody is everyone a fat burner or a sugar burner or what happens there well we were all capable of doing that but we did it in an ebb and flow we were never always on the ketogenic diet because carbohydrates became available and we gorged ourselves on on carbohydrates so I find this whole paleo, ketogenic, high fat, uh, the whole thing, I find it um, very misleading. And because it's only just happening now, we may see the ramifications of it in the next generation or for the next next couple of decades. Remembering the low-fat generation started in the 60s, more so in the 80s. And so we've only been going 30 years and we've seen the ramifications of that. So now we're going to see the ramifications of a constant ketogenic diet or a constant high fat diet. And, you know, the four phase fat elimination protocol is all about going to the winter of the hunter gatherer when we naturally would have lost fat and weight And because there was no fats available to us, you know, we were, and there wasn't a lot of food available to us, there might have been a little bit of meat to share within our tribe. There may have been some green veggies just kind of sticking through the snow if we were in snow. Like when I talk green veggies, I'm talking about maybe some grasses or some herbs. So I think your question, Kim, I can't answer it and just say, yes, this is where we should be going. I think we need to start looking at... Yes, it's all right to be on for a certain amount of time, but don't stay on it. You know, do other things with your diet and look at the seasons and look where you live and see how you can adapt. So, if we look at the the uh, Himba in Namibia, they say that they've only been in Namibia for about two or three hundred years because they had to move south due to the changing um, landscape. They couldn't survive where they were, and so they moved further south in order to uh, probably survive. Um, Does that make sense as to why? Yeah. And, And the whole thing, is a saturated fat good or bad? Well, a saturated fat does cause insulin resistance, as the medical term is, or we could call it insulin desensitivity because If we were eating saturated fat in the summer and we're eating these sweet fruits, if there was a desensitivity of the insulin receptors, it meant sugar stayed within our bloodstream. Triglycerides were formed and then we would lay it down as fat in in the body parts that we needed to have that fat for the winter. So to be on saturated fat for the whole of the year, decade after decade, I don't think is a great thing. But I think if we, we have our polyunsaturated fats, which are our nuts and our, our seeds, that's where we get our polyunsaturated fats, and we have our monounsaturated fats, which are also our nuts and our seeds, and then we have our saturated fats. And we, we in this society, we can use all of them every day. But just be mindful that sometimes just give saturated fat a little bit of a rest and come into your nuts and your seeds and then give your nuts and your seeds a rest and come into your saturated fat. And for the vegans out there, we have coconut oil for your saturated fat.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but and, and be also mindful that there's lots of fats out there. There's duck fat, there's beef, there's lard, there's tallow, there's You know, there's pork belly, there's, I'm sorry, Karen, there is all animal fats out there. There's butter, there's ghee, there is um, sheep, you know, you can get some fat from sheep um, milk. And then um, on the other hand, there's all our beautiful vegetable oils, and that's not the generic vegetable oil. I'm talking about our olives and our walnuts and our hazelnuts and our inches and our beautiful, beautiful nuts and seeds that are very easy to press oil out of. And by having a variety of these fats, we then allow the body to um, get into either a ketogenic state if it needs to or be, um, you know, use glucose and use carbohydrates because there was a reason why we use carbohydrates. And we're learning that in, in um, the professional athlete circles as to when we should be using a carbohydrate, whether it's for endurance or for short spurts versus when we should be using a fat and 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 the same. So the carbohydrate is good for the short burst, the fat is good for the, the endurance. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was yeah. to, to then go on to, you know, go on more about um, fats, I, I think, um, oh, gosh, this, oh, like I've written a whole page here. That's what's um, uh, amazing is that I, I just kept going, okay, we can talk about this, we can talk about this, we can talk about that. So I think the main thing is, is if we just get out what's a good fat and a bad fat. So to me a good fat is a fat that's from nature. A fat that we've eaten for thousands of years, a fat that's not been interfered with, not been purified, bleached, um, nickel added to it, because there's many people that are allergic to nickel and they don't realise it. And then they're eating these fats that have been processed with nickel and have deposits of nickel still in them. Um, you know, so there's there's all of these um, fats that are out there as opposed to, the refined fats, which are your margarines, your canola oils, your rice bran oils, your cottonseed oils, your vegetable oil, safflower oil, soya bean. So why do I stay away from those ones that I've just mentioned? I stay away from number one is how they're produced. They could be genetically modified and they could have Roundup on them. In actual fact, in Australia today, Uh, Roundup is sprayed on your Roundup-ready soybeans and it's also sprayed on your canola, whether it's GM'd or not, and they use it as a desiccant. So they spray it about three weeks before harvest to kill the plant. So as the plant dies, it produces more seeds, the harvest is greater, but you cannot tell me that there's no Roundup left in there, which then creates problems of its own. But then in order to extract it, it goes through a refining process and and like I said, in that refining process, certain minerals or um, chemicals are added to it. So I stay right away from them. And it's so funny, you know, I, I will put something up on Facebook and someone say, but, but I, saw, I thought, you know, grapeseed oil was good. I, I like grapeseed oil. And I go, well, think about a grapeseed. How are you going to cold press a grapeseed and get oil out of it? You know, people have to think. Or think about rice bran. There is no oil in bran. How do they do that? There is no oil in bran. Why do they call it rice bran oil when there's not a scrap of oil in it? How do they? Well, I don't know. Maybe they're getting oil out of the rice. But you think, you think about rice, even if they're getting the the oil out of the rice, there ain't a lot of fat in rice, so they're going to have to use solvents to get that fat out. Um, cottonseed. Think about cottonseed. It's tiny. How do they get the oil out of that? Plus, they spray lots of chemicals on cottonseed. So I would never, ever go near cottonseed oil. Um, and 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 I think it's about time people start to consider this. If it's in a clear plastic container and you sit it out in the sun for four years and the bar on the barbecue and it doesn't go rancid, then something's wrong. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then and then you have to think about well, how do they make these new spreads? They're now calling them spreads, by the way. And I'm talking about margarine. I went to the grocery store recently to pick up some margarine for a talk I was giving, and I'm looking at all the packaging that is usually margarine, such as Flora or um, I don't know what they all are, but anyway, I was looking at it and I'm like going. Oh my gosh. It says canola spread, it it says um, a vegetable spread. Look, no one said no one is calling it margarine anymore. So I rang the company, one of the companies, and I said, Could you please tell me why you're not calling um Margarine Margarine? Um and you know they never got back to me. They because she's I stumped her and she asked her. manager and and nobody got back to me and I must ring them again and find out you know why they've taken margarine the name margarine off (laughs) it's just oh my gosh yeah it must
2: be be because they margarine is now seen as a bad word especially that whole thing that went around the internet saying margarine's one molecule off being plastic maybe the words got round that it's just not a good thing
1: and maybe it is, you know, because you know you can see the the cheap te- the cheap ones up there, and they're called spreads. They're not called margarine, and yet twenty years ago everything was called margarine. You know, it was the butte thing that took your cholesterol down was the best thing, and um, you know, and then and then it just had this check it into it. It had this check it past, and you know, starting off like Karen, you talked about the fact that um, you went to a perfumery and a soap maker, and they made it out of coconut fat. Yeah, yeah. Well. Um, the hydrogenation of a vegetable oil is usually what they make soap out of and usually what they make candles out of. So you'll see soya candles and, mm-hmm. and it's as so though it's, when I see soya candles and, and everybody's praising it, I go, well, it's just hydrogenated soybean oil. You know, it's no big deal that, that they're making it out of that. It's just a soybean, a very, very cheap, long-lasting oil. When I see it made out of maybe beeswax, then I I consider it to be something that's in its natural state, but not when it's made out of hydrogenated um, soybean oil. And the other thing is that we used to make our candles out of tallow um, and we used to make our soaps out of tallow. We didn't make them out of um, these hydrogenated oils. But then, you know, the checkered the, the check past of these fats is that it was hydrogenated and then it was partially hydrogenated and then that created a trans fat and our trans fats are known as, as, as fats that are not good for us and um, many margarines were 35% trans fats and then, you know, now the Heart Foundation thinks they're really smart because they say, well, none of our fats are hydrogenated. So then you ring up and you go, well, if they're not hydrogenated, what are they? Well, they're intersterifying, which hydrogenation is part of that process, but there's more to it than that. And, um, and then what are we going to see in 30 years' time? We're going to find this new fat that's in margarine called an IF, an intersterified fat. What's that going to be seen as? Because it's not found in nature. It's never been found in nature. Like a trans fat is found in very small amounts in nature in nuts and seeds, in animal products and things like that, very, very small amounts, like less than one percent, maybe one percent. Whereas an intersterified fat is not found anywhere. So what are the ramifications of people eating these these margarines that have got the tick of approval by the Heart Foundation? What will be the ramifications of this? Yeah, and so mm-hmm. We you know, we go through this this whole process and and now, you know, we're we're starting to see people are talking about essential fatty acids and omega-threes and omega-6. What is better, an omega six or an omega-three? Well, guess what? Our essential fatty acids, one is an omega-3 and one is an omega-6. So you can't tell me that omega-6 is a bad and omega-3s are good, or omega-3s are good and omega-6. You know, you can't you can't it's not black and white. It's far from being black and white. Omega threes are, you know, important for anti-inflammation, um, and omega six cause inflammation. But not we, we we look at anti and and causing it as something good and bad. But there are sometimes we need inflammation because we have an injury or a problem, uh, and those omega sixes are really important for those those healing times. And and then the omega six, uh, the omega threes are also important. Um, and so I find this this whole thing that one's good and one's bad is 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 not something that we can can say. We just have to make sure we're eating them in their natural way, and then they will be in the right proportions for us. And I think um, the last thing I sorry sorry no no say that say that. The last thing I'd like to talk about, and everybody's talking about at the moment, is smoke point, and what fats can you use for cooking versus what fats should I not, you know, use for cooking. And the best fats I feel you, for use for cooking are fats that are not going to oxidize. So let's let's have a look at um, what a saturated fat means. So saturated means that all the bonds are completely. Um, filled up with with a hydrogen. So it's completely filled up with it, which means that if it becomes heated or goes near light or comes in contact with oxygen, it can't oxidise. Oxygen oxidises. And so what ends up happening is that if you cook a saturated fat, it won't oxidise and therefore it won't be bad for you. So saturated fats are your coconut oils, your um, butters, your geese, your lards, your, all of those are full with your saturated fats. So let's now think about what a monounsaturated fat is. So mono being one, unsaturated meaning one bond doesn't have a hydrogen on it. Therefore, one bond can come into exposure with oxygen and cause oxidation, but in a very, very minor way. So your saturated and your monounsaturated are the ones that you could possibly cook with. So monounsaturated also includes macadamia nut oil and olive oil. So you could cook with those oils, but don't take them to high heat. So I don't take anything to a high heat, by the way. Um, I you know, I like to keep it under the 160 mark as opposed to taking it all the way up to 250, although there are some times I want to take it to 250, but for the most part, most of my cooking is under that. So now let's look at a polyunsaturated fat. So think about it, poly, many unsaturated, many unsaturated bonds, which means it can oxidise very easily and it's more easily oxidised. Therefore, if you heat it or um, have it in sunlight, it will start to go rancid and it's not good for you. You can smell that that acrid, rancid smell. So they're the ones that you use on your dressings or your mayonnaises or your pestos. You do not cook with them. And they're your inki-inchi oil, your walnut oils, your um, borage oils. If You're not allowed to eat borage oil here in Australia, so I would say that. Sesame oils, your, um, what else, the chia. Well, the chia, you know, yeah, the chia would be another one, your avocado oil. If it's, if it's not high in, in, if it's high in polyunsaturated fats, and we, we need to be careful of it. So um, I actually have a chart in front of me, and I was wrong with avocado oil. It's actually 75% monounsaturated fat, whereas let me find one that's high. Macadamia oil is also high. Let me find one that's high. Okay, flaxseed oil. You would never, ever cook flaxseed oil. And you know what? The one thing I don't like about flaxseed oil is it goes rancid very quickly. So I'm always really, really careful, you know with that. So, um you know if I get a chance, I made this whole chart up of what's high in poly, mono, omega three omega six essential fatty acids, long chain short chain, medium chain. It's quite stunning, and i've 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 done. 19 oils and all oils that I would consume, not oils I wouldn't consume. So I haven't bothered with canola or cotton or corn or safflower or vegetable oils or soybean. So that's me saying it as quickly as I could. Um, well, but can I just know, say, can I just yes. say that
0: how do you know this stuff?
2: How do you remember the stuff? You're a flippin' walking encyclopedia. Um, I remember studying all of that, but I don't remember it all, for goodness sake. You're a legend. You're a flipping legend, and we love you. Um, it's 30
1: years. It's, it's, it, you know what it is? It's 30 years and it's love for it, and it's the same with you and your oils, and it's the same with Karen and her bloody mind stuff. My gosh, when we listened to her for a weekend, my, my mouth is on the floor.
2: <laughs> hey, Kaz, I'm just hey, yeah. wondering if you're going to get fat driving your hybrid car now because you're going to have <laughs> less energy output and you're going to eat more because you're not having to do so much because you can travel more in the car. I'm, j- I'm just putting it out there.
0: Look, it's possible. Let's just say it's a possibility. <laughs> it's a possibility. But I'm open, you know, I'm
2: open. <laughs> yeah, and, and now you love fat, so there's no, there's no problem. And That's I good.
0: Love, I love that I said that out loud.
1: <laughs>
2: well, that was a hey um i had one interesting fact thing fact podcast. <laughs> yeah. i had one interesting thing when when we were writing our book like an apple a day we did a lot of work with two doctors and this is where we got a lot of our research done because they had access to um information that obviously we weren't privy to without the, a university education so it was really fascinating and i will never forget Um, one of the doctors saying to me, because I kept challenging him. Now, this was back in the early 2000s, 2002. And I remember saying to him, well, you know, what, I mean, obviously margarine's margarine's terrible, and, you know, we shouldn't be using it. It's just a chemical concoction that's supposedly low in fat. And then he looked at me and he said, well, herein lies the challenge. If you were someone that had high um, cholesterol or, you know, fat issues within the body, then research, science would say stay away from butter and saturated fats and margarine or something of that equivalent would probably be better for someone suffering with any of those kind of conditions and arteriosclerosis and all those sorts of things. However, if you were someone that had a predisposition or a a family history with cancer um, and diseases like that, then you would probably stay away from the chemical um, low-fat, product like margarine, and you would go more for the saturated fat and butter would probably work for you a lot better. What's your theory on that, Cindy? I mean, well, given he's not talking about health,
1: he was just talking about...
2: predisposition.
1: Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the whole, that whole myth has been um, debunked in that the science behind saturated fat causing heart disease... Uh, is is was shown to be faulty and it 's still shown to be faulty and and more and more people are beginning to realize that except for the experts like the heart foundation and but then they have remember um, the margarine association um, or you know people like that maybe supporting them although it is changing but they're still they, you know they 're still making out that that 's the case and so as the Dietetics association but i think that that's been well debunked and now everyone's talking about sugar but what i want to say here is that it's not one thing it will never be one thing it will never just be salt or just be fat or just be sugar it will never be because oh i went off you know one product and i'm going to be cured or i'm taking one product and i'm cured it's a lifestyle it's everything. And Karen, you alluded to this at the beginning, you know, it's about looking at the holistic way we live our lives, what goes into our head, what comes out of our head, what goes into our body, what we put onto our body, what comes out of our body, what connections we have, what sunlight we see. I don't I don't believe, like when I hear somebody's being told to go on a statin drug and eat and take margarine and that's all they change in their diet, I just think that they're just full of it. I just think, well, you obviously don't realise that the body's not that black and white, and is what's right for one person is not necessarily right for another because their stress might be higher. You know, things like that might be um, be a problem, and so they need to then maybe do more meditation or try and do a meditation while they're doing a hike. You know, something like that, Miss Kitty. It was funny. Maybe that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <The> podcast.
0: <laughs> Is there something
1: we need to know? Oh, oh I just, it was so funny, that's all. It
2: was just oh. funny. <laughs> we try, we'll tell you. We'll tell you off yeah, It was hilarious. Oh, um, Karen, I just – just one last quick question I want to ask. Cindy and Karen, both of you, like, is it possible for um, someone like Kaz who is a strict vegan – and mainly raw, is it possible for her to get all the things she needs from something like coconut oil as far as fat is concerned? That's just a question I get asked a lot from mums worried about their daughters being vegetarian or vegan. All
1: right. So Karen's um, looked into veganism. Mm. She prepares her foods beautifully. She knows what she's doing. Um, She's got all the knowledge and she puts effort into it. A young teenage girl who chooses to be a vegan that has just said, well, I'm going to stop eating meat. And I've seen these girls get a McDonald's hamburger, take the cheese and the meat off and eat it. Wow. I have seen this. I've seen a vegan girl do this because they have this thing, you know, and it's more a moral thing and they don't know what they're doing or how they're doing it. It's dangerous. It's very dangerous, I believe to young teenage girls because it seems to be the teenage girls that are doing it and there's lots of them doing it um, going into veganism. And I think their mothers should be very strict with them and just say, well, you can either save the babes in the wood or you can save yourself. And, the, and you know, I need to almost do a whole podcast on this and and if they choose to be vegans, then they choose to do it Right. Because when you're eating meat and vegetables and you've got dairy and you've got things like that coming in and you're not eating junk foods and there's no additives and preservatives and flavourings, when, when you're doing that it's fairly simple to make sure you're getting your proteins and your fats and your carbs and your vitamins and minerals and everything like that. The way Karen does her veganism, she is getting everything that she needs. The way a young girl would do it, like I said, the McDonald's hamburger, um, they may just eat bread. And the bread could be made with gosh knows how many ingredients. It could be wheat that's got Roundup in it. Um, So their hormones are going to um, have an issue, you know. And they may decide to have those sausages. Oh, my gosh. I I go, if you're going to be a vegan, why do you need a sausage even if it's a vegan sausage? Seriously. You know, it never (laughs) makes sense to me. Or vegan cheese. You want to be a vegan, do what vegans do. They don't fake meat and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) so for the young mums for the mums out there with these young girls I would be having a serious talk to them and saying unless you do this properly then you don't do it at all and you put the time in the kitchen and you prepare the foods right
0: I think your point is 100% valid Cindy when I first went vegan I just replaced meat with bread and I was 17 years vegan and you know for whether that contributed to it or not, I don't know, but Matt and I were not able to have kids. So when I decided, so so I started eating meat again um, when I was in my 30s because I started training and stuff because everybody was telling me to eat meat, eat meat, eat meat. Anyway, so I stopped eating meat again when I was uh, 41. So what's that now, five years ago. But what I decided to do is that I said to myself, I will go vegan for 30 days. And if I decide I want to eat meat again, I'm going to. And if I don't decide I'm going to eat meat again, I'm not going to. I'm going to do whatever I feel is right for me. But I have to say, at the age of 41 years old, it was only at that point that I was ready to actually do the research and do the work that's required to eat a rainbow in every single meal and make sure that I'm getting my fat sources from everything, from inky Inchi to olive to to, um, chia to flax to just about, you know, like in every single meal, there's a beautiful combination. And as a vegan, food combining is one of the most important components of maintaining a healthy vegan diet. And just like there's a food pyramid for normal people that's completely inadequate, there's also a food pyramid for vegans which is completely inadequate. So it's really, really Mm. important that if a person is going to do it, they do it from a position of education because, especially for women, because we do have so much pinning on our, uh, our hormonal nutrition. Um, if, you know, young girls are doing it and they want to maintain their hormonal viability, they do have to make sure that they are doing it properly. And I think it would be great to do a podcast on how not to do it and how to do it. I think that would be really, really awesome because there are kids who are going to do it.
1: Yeah, you actually, know, what a I brilliant idea, Karen, can. let's yeah, do that.
2: I agree. Yeah. And I get asked a lot, darlings, and and maybe we could talk a little bit about teenage skin in there as well just because that's another yes. big thing like acne and, and things like that. So if our beautiful listeners are keen for that, give us a response on our Facebook page and let's see if they're up for it
0: very soon. Yeah. yeah. Fabulous. Fabulous. I'm in. I'm in. Cool. Well, this has been an amazing podcast. We've learned so much. I think that um, no doubt our listeners have gotten heaps and heaps of information in terms of the facts. What I would actually suggest that everybody does, here's what I would think that you should do. Go back and listen to this podcast again and get a pen and paper and sit down and actually write down what you cook with, what you don't cook with, what, you know, where you're going to get your greatest um, benefits for your Omega 3s and 6s and where you're going to get, you know, the other nutritional components where you're going to get your greatest benefits from. I think that would be a good idea because on the listening, sometimes we miss some of the really good points. And because there is so much information, Cindy has 30 years behind her. So because there's so much information there, go back and listen to it again. Um, I'm certainly going to do that when I download this recording myself.
1: Because
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you can always learn something. We can always learn something. But I just want to encourage everybody have fun with it. Like, like be in the exploration of it, be in the adventure of it. Don't look at it as something that you've got to like add as a chore a chore to, to your existing world. So post your comments on our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and post your comments about whether you want us to do a um, podcast on veganism, how to do it right and how to do it wrong. Also, you can go to allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat and you can post your comments there so hopefully you guys have loved today's podcast we're going to see you here same time same station next week at up for a chat where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world and we're going to see you on the ride bye for now everybody